a good definition for what a disciple is that's hopefully easy to remember is it's a devoted, developing, deployed follower of Jesus Christ. We saw that from Matthew chapter 4 when Matthew calls Peter and Andrew and James and John the, the first set of disciples. So today we're going to narrow it in a little bit more and we're now going to ask the question, what? What am I called to do? Kind of a a practical part two, if you will, to last week. If we are to be devoted, developing, deployed, then what does that look like? Uh, and I do, I do want to give you a quick disclaimer before we jump into this. Um, it's, it's not lost on me how pastors can tend to, when we, when we teach scripture, we make it very much about you guys go do this right? Like you, you've come to gather on Sunday morning. You trust that I've spent a lot of time in studying and preparing the word. So when we're teaching it, it, it comes across as this is things for you to go and do. Okay. Um, a pastor can do that very well, meaning it's difficult for me to, to try to think of it in that mindset. Um, yes, Paul talks about the role of the pastor elder being a shepherd, right, where the shepherd is to take care of his flock. And part of doing that is, is this teaching time on Sunday morning. But you also have to hold that with 1 Peter 5, which says, well, really, pastors and, and, and elders are under shepherds because there is a chief shepherd, and that is Christ. So as we're talking this morning about this question, what do you do, I hear my heart in this, okay, that this is, this is not Jordan's personal preference for what I believe you guys ought to be doing here, but this is from Christ. What does he desire of us? And if he is the chief shepherd, then that very much applies to, to me as well as to all of us. So this is, this is a, a, a journey we are learning on together more than just Jordan telling you this is what we're going to now go do. So we're going to see this morning that if God calls us to be devoted, developing, deployed followers, if, if that's the life of a disciple, then what that's going to practically look like is that he calls us to be a people loving as Christ, learning from Christ, and living in Christ. That's where we're kind of going with this vision today. So we're actually going to look at four different chapters in the New Testament. I said look at. We're not going to read four different chapters. That would take a lot of time this morning. Um, and I, I, uh, I, uh, I'll tell you, I, I know I probably spoke longer than normal last week. So we're not going to read all four chapters, but we are going to go through different pieces of each chapters. And these are John chapter 13 through John chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles with us this morning, go ahead and go there. And the reason we're looking at these chapters is because it's a nice bookend to where we were last week. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 4, which is Jesus calling the disciples for the first time. Now we are in John 13 through 16, which is one of his final conversations with his disciples before he leaves. So you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff that Jesus talked about last week because it would make sense. At the end of his ministry, he's pointing them back to what he told them at the beginning, saying, guys, don't forget this is what I've called you to do. I'm about to leave. I need to make sure you understand this. So this is, this is where we are at this morning. We are going to begin in John chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 35 first, and then we'll move into 14, move into 15, and we're, we're going to pull from 16 as we go. So this is John chapter 13, beginning with verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Fathers, we are, um, we are honored and, and you know, we, we have the privilege this morning of, of looking in, God, on one of the, the last conversations between your son and, and the 12 that you had set apart to bear your glory to, to everybody, Lord. Um, I pray that you open our hearts uh, and let us see what it is that you desire us to do, Lord. God, we know that this calling that you gave to these, these 12 Clearly, it, it did something because here we are thousands of years later and still talking about it. So, Lord, we are, we are excited uh, that we get to see your heart on display in your people and in your son in Christ this morning. Uh, Lord, may we not miss anything as we come to this. In your name we pray. Amen. So in John 13, at the beginning, this is a scene where you see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's one of the last things he gets to do with his disciples where they're in the room together before all the craziness and all the chaos is about to happen. And uh, you get to see this, this picture of Jesus just serving them deeply by washing their feet. And as he does this, he now then starts to call out, even as I'm doing this, I know some of you are going to betray me. And as they take meal together, he says, some of you guys, you're not going to be with me because I know what's about to happen. So you, you have this deep act of service. You have this kind of weird cloud going on. You know, the disciples are thinking, Jesus, what are you, what are you talking about? Betray you. And, and now as, as one of them leaves, and it turns out it would be the one who would betray him, Judas, then Jesus now kind of turns his attention to who's there, who's left. And he says, okay. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. And he begins in verse 31 by saying, pretty much everything that I have been talking about has finally been fulfilled. You guys are now seeing the fullness of who I am. You, you understand that I am the son of God and that, you know, now because you're understanding this, I'm, I'm not going to be with you that much longer. And you begin in verse 34 with, with Jesus starting to now reteach the disciples, this is what I have for you to do. And it begins with this new command to love one another as I have loved you. Now, I, I do want to real quickly point out the word there that, that means new. There's, there's two main words that get translated as new in English from the Greek. One of those words means new like something is totally brand new. It's never existed before and poof, you know, now here it is. The other word, when it talks about something being new, it's kind of like, it, it, it's one of two things. It's either a new substance like it's just something that hasn't been heard of before. Maybe it's always been around, but it's not been understood. Or it's, it's a new form. Like The easiest way for me to think about it is when you take a, a pie out of the oven, right? The ingredients of the pie had existed long before the pie came out of the oven, but they were not truly a pie until it came out of the oven. So the Greek word new that Jesus uses here is the second one. He's not telling the disciples a command that they've never heard before. He's telling them, Remember this, I'm going to give this to you in a new and a fresh, different way than you're used to hearing. 
you know, you, I was telling you now to love people. Uh, now I'm going to tell you that I'm about to leave. You are to love people as I have loved you. And it, it kind of begs the question for us, well, what did Jesus' love look like to his disciples? Because he makes himself the example. He says, as I have loved you, now go love one another. I mean, if you read throughout the gospel accounts, you, you see amazing, amazing examples of Jesus' love for his disciples. I mean, you see he teaches them. You know, he, he spends time with them to show them who he is and what he's come to do. But he also spends time serving them, as we've just seen him washing their feet at the beginning of John 13. You see that he's also living life with them. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts about Jesus' love for the disciples, he's very patient with them. I, I mean, you can't, you can't love something well without some patience. And you see countless examples of Jesus being truly patient with this, these group of guys as he's trying to get this understanding to them. And, and you guys see stories in here where they just do not get it. So, so Jesus' love has been on full display as he's lived his life with these disciples uh, but Jesus, as he's telling them to love one another, he's also kind of showing them, I didn't just love you. I also loved God the Father. And, and you can think, um, there's a, I believe it's in Luke, it's either chapter 5 or chapter 9, I can't remember. But it's, it's, a, it's a one sentence, and Jesus withdrew to pray. But if you read throughout, especially the Gospels of Luke and Mark, you, you count the number of times that you see Jesus withdrawing from the crowds. Because he does a lot, but he also leaves at times to go spend time with the Father, God. And, and you see his love for God and how he is just making God known to everyone around him. Jesus is loving the disciples. Jesus loves God. You also just see Jesus love people. I mean, one of the first teachings that Jesus gives in the synagogues is he stands up and he says, he reads this, this scroll of Isaiah, and he says, today I have come for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the captive. And, he sa and then he kind of in the, the first instance of a mic drop, he closes the scroll and says, now this has been fulfilled. You know, Jesus, when he calls the disciples to love one another, it's not just between this group, but it's love each other and, and love others and love God. Love as I have loved you. And it's, I can't help but think the disciples are, are probably thinking this is a little strange. Um, because here's, here's Jesus has been setting the example and they've been watching Jesus love others and love God and, and leading other people to come know God. And if, if you're one of the disciples, you're thinking, well, but why wouldn't you be here to do that, Jesus? You, why, how are other people going to know God from the way I love if you're standing right here? And Jesus addresses this at the end in John 16, 7, where he actually says it's better for me to leave because that will mean that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And, and church, embedded in that is, is this desire that we've, we've been talking about a little bit each week, but it is on full display, and it will become even more on full display as we read through these, these chapters about God's desire to dwell within us. I mean, the, the level of love that God has for you and for me is, is such that he is not content until we are dwelling with him, and he has come to dwell within us. I mean, the, the picture of what takes place at the fall, uh, when, when humanity and God are separated in, in Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's amazing to think in, at the beginning, 
Adam and Eve were truly with God, and now they have been kicked out of the garden, driven out of God's presence. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see God is desiring for his people to be with him, but it's, it's not even to this, this level yet. You see God's, God's presence is in the temple, you know, and the Israelites are around the temple, so God's presence is near the people, but it's not within them yet. And Jesus says, it's, it's actually the same way with me. You guys have been living life with me. You've been around me. You've been next to me. You've seen me do things. But that's still not the greatest fulfillment of the desire that God has for us. In fact, in order for that desire to be fulfilled, I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come and God will no longer dwell next to us or in our midst or around us or nearby like a neighbor or a friend, but he will dwell within us. It is, it's a difficult concept for me you know, to wrap my mind around that, that God would want to dwell within me. I'm, I'm not that great of a person. Um, there's things about me that I, I don't like, and you know, I, I get reminded of that daily. And, and yet God's desire, his, his love for me is such that he wants to dwell within me. And then he says, not only is that the desire I have in my love for you, I have called you to now love others so that they might see that love as well. I mean, that is, that is a high and holy calling for us, church. But I, I think it's, the, the more I was thinking about it this week, it, it kind of, it starts to make sense. Um, I, I quoted him last week, and I don't intend to quote him every week, but um, there's, uh, Bob Goff has written a number of, of good books out there on different facets of the Christian life. Uh, but one of the things he talks about in his book, Love Does, is one of the best ways that psychologists have found that you can show, especially as an adult, your love to somebody else is to love on their kids. That, that when you guys have kids and you see other people love on your children, there's, there's just something within you that that feels the love that they have for your kids as if it's a love for yourself. And he says that is the same principle that you see with God throughout his scripture. That wherever there's a, a call for us to love him, there's usually also a call for us to go love his creation, his children. So it's, it is a high and holy calling, but it, it, it is one that we understand and that we, you know, whether we realize it or not, we pick up on it. When, when people love our kids, we, we feel that appreciation, that, that love as well. So what this, what this practically looks like, very simply, is if, if we are called to be devoted followers of Christ. Last week we talked about if we're a devoted follower, it means we're, we're pursuing, we're submitted to, we're, we're loving Christ. Practically, it means our lives as disciples are lives of love. And that is, that is language that a lot of churches can take in a lot of different directions. And, and I think the struggle for a lot of us is loving people is difficult. And loving people is messy. You know, we, we always you wrestle with, well, where are the boundaries and what does it look like, you know, especially for me to love somebody else that maybe in a totally different season of life, a different you know, lifestyle, a different culture, different background, what does it look like for me to, to love them? And church, I think God knows that for us it's, it's difficult and it's messy to love one another. And I think Jesus knows that as he's speaking to the disciples because he makes the example for them a very familiar one. 
He says, love others as I have loved you. They have spent three years with him. They have seen his love for God, for others, for themselves on full display. And I don't know if they realize it or not, but, but Jesus is also kind of helping us, you know, even today, by making himself the, the standard of what it is to love one another. Because as Jesus says, you are to love others as, as I have loved you, he, he says, well, I know that you know it's sometimes difficult to love people that aren't like you. But think, Jesus says, think about me for a second. Who on earth is exactly like me, right? Who, who on earth has the same language, culture, background as I do? I, I mean, if, if, if we believe truly that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, nobody else could have that title. So everybody that Jesus loved was different to Jesus. And yet you, you constantly see that Jesus is always spending time with people. He's always building relationships with people so that he can show them who he is and what he's come to do. And he says, yeah, I, I get that it might be difficult and messy to love others. Think about who I am loving, you know, the, the difficult and messy people around me. And yet this, the example we see in Christ, Christ says that, that is the example you are to use when it comes to others. And you also see Jesus knows, okay, you, you might be thinking about, like, where do I put a line on what love looks like and what takes place? And, and in John 16, 8, Jesus tells them, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world in terms of sin, in terms of righteousness, in terms of judgment. Essentially, what Jesus is kind of telling them is, do you not think that I am God and I know what I am doing? Jesus does not give them the command to love as the Holy Spirit does. He says, no, the, the role that the Holy Spirit will play is the convicting role. What I have called you to do is to love one another as I have loved you. I, I'm God, I promise. I will be taking care of the rest as you go, okay? But what I have given you to do is to love others as I have loved you. And I promise that when I send my Holy Spirit to the world, he will truly do the convicting work. And so church, I, I hope that, I know that's not a, a, a full picture, uh, and quite honestly, I don't know very many people that have a full picture of this side of heaven. This is, loving others is something that is, is again, is difficult, is, is messy, and, and we, we don't like difficult and messy. We like things to be clean and, and neat and ordered, and, and the best we could do, church, is, is truly the best we can do when we look at Christ and he says, no, the example is in me. What you have seen me do in the way that I love the Father, in the way that I've loved you, in the way that I have loved all of those who came to me, you know, knowing where a lot of the people that came to me, the backgrounds and things they came from, it is that level of love that you are called to love one another. Why? Because verse 35, by this all people you know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So practically for, for us churches, we are as we are to be a people who are devoted to Christ, it, it, our lives must be characterized by, by love, which requires a great de degree of trust, right, that the Holy Spirit does come to do the convicting work. But what God has called us to do is to be a people loving as Christ. Now, Jesus, Jesus does continue, and this is where we're going to go next into John chapter 14. He, he does say, now, I'm going to be 
a little bit more narrow. I gave you the big command to love one another. I've told you it's in the example for me. I'm going to really narrow it in now, though, on, on a specific way that you can show your love for me. This is now over in John chapter 14, verse 15, and then verses 21 through 26 are, are, are right after it, and he's reiterating the same thing. So in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then down to 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So after Jesus gives them this command at the end of John 13 to love one another, at the beginning of John 14, he talks about, I'm about to leave and I'm about to go to be with the Father, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and you will know the way to get there because you've been with me and I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way that people come to know the Father. And Jesus is now kind of narrowing in and saying, okay, I I will be coming back from you. Again, in the meantime, I have given you this commandment to love one another. Here's what this looks like. And four different times in verses 15 and 21 through 26, Jesus makes this connection between loving him and keeping his commandments. This is, this is very similar to last week when we, we saw the, the connection between devotion and development. You know, that if, if we are devoted to Christ, we are being developed by him. He's, he is doing an internal transformational work within us where we, we aren't staying the same person when our lives are surrendered to Christ. And, and Jesus is reminding them of that pattern right here saying, if you love me, you will be keeping my commands. I will be doing that work within you. You, you are no longer living the same way. And so, church, for us this morning, that means that God has not only called us to be a people loving as Christ, but he's also called us to be a people learning from Christ. And the, this theme of devotion connected to development, of you know, loving connected to learning, this is something that John has been consistent with out through his entire gospel. I mean, beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, he, he calls out, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, he clarifies, he says, and the word became flesh and it dwelt among men just as the, uh, uh, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So John has been very careful to point out, not only is Jesus the son of God, but he is the living embodiment, the word of God that has now come to life. And so Jesus is, as he's saying them, if you love me, you're going to keep my words because if you love me, I am the word of God. You, you cannot love me and not love the word of God. And he, he gives the commandment at the end saying, well, the helper, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to be teaching you. He's going to be instructing you 
in the things that I have taught you and, and in new things that I will continue to reveal to you as well. And, and I think the, the language of teaching there is one we have to also be careful with this morning, church. Because when we, when we think about teaching, it's, it's typically tied to verbal instruction, right? That the way that I'm supposed to grow in my faith is, is basically obtaining knowledge, learning more, and then turning around and, and telling it to other people, okay? And, and that, is, that is true. But the, the Greek there that's translated as teach, teaches, it doesn't, it, we don't really have an English word that gives the full picture of what the Greek is describing other than I would say that the closest word is discipleship. It's, it's this idea of whatever has been given to you and whatever means are at your disposal, give it to those around you. I, the, the language that, that Jesus uses when he's saying the Holy Spirit is coming to teach you, it's, it's not like God is dwelling within us and we you know, take like 15 minutes each morning and the Holy Spirit tells us a couple of things and then we just go do it throughout the day. It's, it is a lifestyle of learning, of, of God knowing how we are wired and making his word known to us that we may be living it out in all things. Um, I was talking with one of my sister-in-laws this past week, uh, Isabel, who is doing student teaching at her school this semester. And she was telling me that the way that her and her peers are being trained in the classroom to teach uh, is really kind of along the lines of what Jesus is talking about. And it's, it's not just because she's going to a Christian school that professors are saying, no, based off of you know, years of research of what psychologists and different science uh, you know, has, has taught us, the best ways that teachers can teach students begins with the teachers getting to know their students. That the, the teacher and the students begin to develop this relationship where the teacher is not just trying to tell the student what to do or just communicate verbal truth with the student, but the teachers are getting to learn, okay, how does my student learn? Because I think one of the statistics she shared with me is only about 20 to 30 percent of people are auditory learners, right? Which, again, is why on Sunday mornings we hear the word through singing, we hear the word uh, through preaching. Uh, but only about 20 percent of you probably really truly learn the word of God best by hearing somebody like me or a teacher speaking it to you. Some of you have to go practice it out and see, oh, yeah, yeah, God was right when he was talking about that. Some of you have to go watch other people do it to, to get a visual of it. I mean, when, when Isabel was telling me about this, I started thinking, that is, that is amazing that we understand that in the realm of teaching, right? That it might actually be helpful to know how the people you're teaching learn best while you're teaching them. But we don't often apply that to discipleship. I mean, a, a lot of and maybe it's just because it's, it's the easiest way for us. I feel like a lot of the evangelism that, that I kind of was trained on or that I saw people do really emphasized on what you were telling people. You know, how did you package the gospel? What words were you specifically using to communicate the truth? Which is all extremely important. But it is, is not the only way that we can share the gospel with people. It's not the only way that, that people... Will, will truly grasp the gospel. There's, you know, when you look at the example of Christ and how he taught, well, there's tons of verbal instructions, tons of Jesus telling the disciples who he was and what he came to do and what it looked like. But you see, he does it in different settings. Sometimes Jesus is teaching him at the synagogue. Sometimes he's teaching him at the beach. 
I mean, for those of you who like beach vacations, maybe you need to hear that this morning. I mean, Jesus teaches people where they're at. And sometimes when there's just large crowds that are gathered, he just says, okay, right here looks like a good spot. Let me, let me teach you for a little bit. So, so Jesus is, is out there with people where they are at, and he uses those different settings as avenues that he can teach them. You also see Jesus does a lot of one-on-one meetings, uh, especially with Peter. I think Jesus knew Peter is a guy that, you know, he, he probably needs somebody to sit down with him across the table and talk with him to really understand what all is, is going on. So Jesus has one-on-one conversations. You see Jesus telling stories. There's, there's many, many parables recorded in the New Testament where instead of Jesus just telling the truth to somebody, he told them a story. And by hearing the story, they went, oh, yeah, th- that makes sense. If, if a farmer would do that, then I guess I, I would do that for God. Now, you see, uh, not only storytelling, Jesus asks questions. Uh, it's, as, as a youth, that was one of my favorite things that Jesus did because it felt so rebellious that when somebody asks you a question, no, I'm going to turn around and ask you a question. But the, the way that Jesus would do it was he, he says, your focus is on this piece right here, but, but this is really the bigger question that you need to be concerned with. You finally also, you see Jesus sending out the disciples. You know, part of his teaching them was sending them out to go learn it, to go practice it. And then he would call them back, and, and they, would, they would talk about what had they seen. You know, this is, I forget whether it's in Matthew or Luke, um, but it's when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples. He says, you're going to go out for a season, and you're going to share this. You're going to look for these things. You're going to share with these people, and then you're going to come back. And we're, we're going to learn from, from what you guys have done. So Jesus' teaching and the Holy Spirit's teaching us is, is a very wide spectrum, church. And please, please hear me. I am so glad that you guys come here every Sunday morning to get to worship with us, to get to praise God, to get to hear the word shared with you. But I really want to encourage you, if, if you have a hard time sitting for 35 minutes to listen to a sermon, this is not the only way that we learn from God. I mean, it's why we do different things on Sunday mornings. It's, it's why ultimately throughout the week, um, there's, there's great freedom. You, know, you, you don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. to have your prayer time with Christ. It can be something you do while you're driving. You can you know, have, there's apps on your phone to help you stay reading scripture. There's you know, also reading plans throughout the Bible. I mean, there's, there are so many different ways that based on how God has wired us, he is making himself known to us, church. So when we are talking about being a people learning from Christ, there's not one right way that I have in mind as to how we do this. And and the other thing, though, that I I hope is also clear is that this this learning requires a relationship. That if, if I'm going to be walking with somebody through the Scripture, it is a much more powerful way for me to do that if I know them. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for several of you guys that came and helped us paint our house yesterday. You know, that, that might not sound like that big of a deal, but just coming and spending time with us and us spending time with you, that is getting to know one another. That, that helps me, whether you realize it or not, that helps me when I'm preaching because I get to hear where you guys are at and I get to think about, oh, well, if they're going through this or if they're dealing with this, then, you know, maybe this is something we can address or, hey, if they... Uh, if we don't have a ton of people that 
would rather me teach like a, a Bible professor, you know, then maybe I won't teach like a Bible professor. It, it, getting to know one another shapes the way that we learn. So it, it requires a relationship with other people, but it also requires a relationship with Christ because we have to know the one we are trying to learn from and, and trust that when God tells us, hey, the Holy Spirit the Father will be sending in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. He's saying, well, I, I know how I have wired you. I know how you learn. I am coming to live within you. Like, what better way for me to make things known to you than for my spirit to be dwelling within you? So, church, it, it, this, this will take time for us. I mean, it takes time to get to know people and to build relationships, but, but I do see this already in the life of our church. Um, I, I will never forget one of, the, one of the questions that we asked in the search committee process was just, tell us about the area. You know, where, where do you guys live? Uh, and, and part of that was a real estate question. We wanted to, you know, try to live near you guys, but also it was just, you know, do they know their community that well? And, and the, the way the search committee answered the question, they didn't tell, the members did not tell me about their homes, they told me about each other's homes. Which you know what that tells me? That you guys live life together because you've been in other people's homes. You, you not only know what your house looks like, you, you are truly living in community with other people. And as I've gotten to you know, join on the different outreach ministries that we do with the Samaritan Inn and the Agape Center, there's, there's some very intentionally built-in times of relationship building that are accompanied with the gospel being shared. And, and so this, this is what we are talking about this morning, church, when we say we are called to be a people learning from Christ. It, it is a developing in, in a variety of ways our relationship with God and our relationship with others that we may truly be being reminded and being taught through the Holy Spirit. And the last piece of the puzzle uh, now comes in John chapter 15 because Jesus has connected living uh, and, and loving. Well, now he's going to connect living, loving, and learning all together. It, we actually already read it in John chapter 14, verse 23, but I'll read it again. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He'll be learning from me. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. So this, is, this is perhaps the full progression of what God is desiring of us, that, that initial choice of recognizing that we were made for a relationship with him, that, that God created us to bear his image. We have broken away from that. And what God desires of us is that restored relationship, that, that initial act of, God, I, I believe you, and so I, I will surrender to you as my Savior. And Lord, I, I will take on what you love and who you love as myself. That then leads us to be learning from him to living out his commandments. But then what that ultimately is fulfilled in is God's spirit is dwelling within us. That we are a people loving as Christ, learning from Christ, and lastly, a people living in Christ. And it is with this, with this picture in mind as Jesus is walking through the end of John 14 that we get to one of my favorite places in all of scripture in John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then throughout the rest of John 15 and beginning into John 16, Jesus keeps coming back to this connection of if, if you are loving as I have loved you and you are learning from the Holy Spirit given to you, my ultimate goal for you is that you would be living with me. Um, I believe I have a slide up there, but you can't miss the relationship language that is all throughout these, these four chapters. And, and we don't have time to walk through all of it, but I, I think I have the scripture references on the back. But you can see how Jesus' the, the rich relationship language just comes out over and over and over again. In John 13, you see Jesus uh, is calling the disciples to love one another. And it gets reiterated again in John 15. You see Peter, at one point, he kind of interrupts Jesus, and he starts talking about, well, no, I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I, I'm not going to leave you. And, and Jesus reveals to him, no, it, it is a struggle. This relationship is not necessarily an easy one. It, it feels unnatural at times, yet it is the one I have created you for. So that struggle is, is very natural for us still today, just as it was for Peter. You see Jesus talking over and over again about how he's, he's leaving, but it's to prepare a place for us to go dwell with him. And then he says, and by the way, I will be coming back to take you to bring you with me. You see that um, Jesus also mentions how God makes himself known to us through a relationship. You know, he, he came to dwell with his people in the Old Testament. He's now done it again in Christ, and he's going to do it again now through the Holy Spirit moving forwards from, from this place. You see God's desire to, you know, literally dwell within us that we've read. And, and at the end of John 16, you see God sends the Holy Spirit for the purpose of, of guiding us in this relationship. I mean, the relationship language is, is over all of this. You, you can't miss it. And it's with this background that you get to the end of John 16. And I'm going to read the, the message translation just because it's a good picture of what the disciples are feeling after they hear all of this. They, they hear Jesus talking this picture about what he's called them to do. They see all these pieces fitting together and they say, finally, you're giving it to us straight. In plain talk, no more figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything. It all comes together in you. You won't have to put up with our questions anymore. We're convinced that you came from God. It was after three years of living life with these men, of constantly showing them miracles, of constantly teaching them, constantly letting them listen in on his conversations with other people, three years that they are finally now starting to see who Jesus is and what he came to do. Church, talk about playing an end game, the long game. Jesus spent three years developing a relationship with these men. 
And he did so in such a way that when he left, there were 12 that, had been, that knew the message of the gospel, knew who God was, knew what he came to do, knew that so good that here we are today still talking about this message. I mean, what a, what a power it is to invest in other people's lives and to use those relationships to share the gospel. And ultimately, it is a call to be living with one another, and it fulfills the, the calling that God has given us where he says, oh, I, I want to dwell within you. Church, we, we really need to recapture the language of, of relationship in all of this. Uh, because I think when the world looks at us and sees the way that we practice our faith, the relationship piece is, is not always there. Uh, a lot of the world will look at us and say, well, you're... Your, your religion, your, your Christian faith, it, it sounds a lot like it's about morality. You know, the things that you are supposed to be. Um, why should I be that? You know, th- there are plenty of good moral people that I know that, that don't know Jesus. So if, if your, your, your faith is based on, on purely just morality, why should I go be that? I'm glad that that works for you. Sometimes we, we present our faith in a way that it's, it's about a lifestyle. It's about what we do. Oh, yeah, well, being a Christian is going to church and praying and reading the Bible. And yes, again, amen, it is true. But does that really lead somebody to say, well, if I haven't been used to getting up early on Sunday mornings to go to a church service to be encouraged and to read the Bible, then, then why, why should I start doing that now? That, that, that piece without the relationship component is also lacking. I think sometimes we, we present our faith in a way that makes it sound like it's it's about an ideology, right? If I can believe these set of statements, if I understand this to be true, then I'm good. Again, we do need to understand the truth and to believe it for ourselves. But I think that that's in part why our world consistently looks at us and say, prove to me that that is true, right? If your faith is based on just something that you're supposed to believe, prove to me that that is true. I mean, these these responses that our world gives us are not that crazy when we think about the ways that our faith gets presented. And the piece that is often lacking is the one that is the, the most important, the relationship. When you think about when God makes humanity, he made us to be relational beings. When, when God knits Adam together and Eve together, he says, I have made you in my image. Now, we're not about to dive into the Trinity because we do not, I do not understand even fully how the Trinity works. But at the core of who God is, there is relationship. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the core of who God is, the core of who we are as we are reflecting who God is, it, it is a relationship. God desiring to dwell with us and us dwelling with others in a way that others may come to know God and to live with him in the same way. So church, practically what that looks like as we close, uh, there's a lot of, it's tough for me to say because it's a very broad calling and it's a very specific calling uh, in the sense that it's, there's a lot of freedom in living in the spirit that that Paul and and Peter and John and their letters to specific churches, they address more specifically what, what this looks like. But it's also a very narrow focus where it's not a freedom to go do anything, but it is a calling to live in the Holy Spirit. Um, but I, I don't, miss, don't miss the freedom that God has given you in the relationships that you have 
with one another. I think it is amazing that he has wired us relational beings and he's called us, now go do that. Go do what I have made you to do that others would come and know me. So what, what we do here on, on Sunday mornings is, is part of our desire to do that. You know, that, you know I, I pray that this time in the word and this time in worship and just getting to catch up with one another and see each other, um, you know, again, that's, that is building a relationship with one another. And hopefully this is, is growing us closer to God as well. Uh, the service opportunities that we do here at, at NRF, these, these are also geared towards relational stuff. Uh, the Samaritan Inn, the Agape Center, it's, it's getting to know people and, and it is getting to meet their needs and it is getting to share the gospel. It is all these things tied together. Um, the way that we live in community with one another. So you know that, that you guys interact with each other outside of here on Sunday mornings. That is, that is phenomenal. And that is honestly not something that many churches have. Oh, a lot of us kind of know we just go back to our corners and we don't interact with each other throughout the week. But... But churches, I have gotten to know you. I have seen that, okay, maybe it's not on a weekly basis, but it is there. You guys have a community with each other that, that is lacking elsewhere. That is, that is, in part, one of the many reasons why Abigail and I were saying, yeah, we, we want to go be a part of that church and what they're doing. We, we see that there's a community that exists there, and, and we are, we're grateful to be part of that this morning. So how you can respond to this, I think there's, there's a couple different ways you can. One of them is to, to evaluate, to ask the question, okay, if, if I'm supposed to be loving as Christ, what does that look like for me? Yeah, how do I show my love to others, to God? Um, and if I don't show my love to others in God that often, then, then maybe that's something I need to pray about and to work on. Uh, so you can evaluate that question. I would say also spend some time discovering. I mean... I don't know how many of you guys have ever sat down and thought about what is the way that I learn best. Um, I don't even think I have done that. But if, if God is talking about sending the Holy Spirit to us and, and making himself known to us in that way, then it, it's good for us to spend some time saying, well, how do I learn best? How do the people around me learn best? Maybe I've been trying to talk with my kid about the gospel for years and they've never gotten it. Maybe they don't need me to talk more. Maybe they need me to show it. Maybe they need me to demonstrate it. Maybe they need me to, I, I don't know, just if there's more than one way, then, then we need to figure out, well, how do I learn best? How do my friends and family learn best? And lastly, I think the same thing as last week, there is a choice that, that needs to be made, that if the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell within me, when, I am, when I've given my life to Christ, then daily I need to be choosing to live in Christ. Um, for some of you, maybe that is a choice we can make for the first time. And for others, it's just a choice every morning. We wake up, Lord, you know, there's, there's a lot of things within me, a lot of competing desires. I, I need to be living in you today because I see that that is your desire for me. So as the, the worship team comes back up, we will we'll pray. And, and church, I, I know that this, I have no clue how long that was, but I, I'm grateful that we get to spend this time together because this is, I present this to you as a, a mission, a, a vision of, you know, what we ought to be doing, and, and sometimes it's kind of awkward that it doesn't feel as, as narrowed down as it should be, uh, but church, there is great freedom in the life that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. And there's also very clear instructions as to, you know, some boundaries as to what that life looks like and, and doesn't look like. And church, I, 
as we are walking through this process of what God has in store for us next year at New River Fellowship, I, I, I do not want you guys to miss the joy and the freedom that comes with living life in the Holy Spirit. That, that is the piece that, that many of us uh, often miss in our faith. So, Father, we are, we are grateful this morning for your desire for us to dwell with you. God, for your heart to be made known to us in so many different ways through, through your Son, Father, through your presence, through dwelling around us, dwelling within us. God, we are humbled this morning to know that you desire all of us, Lord. You, you know what is going on in our minds and in our hearts. And God, you, des you desire to be with us in all of this. Lord, as we surrender ourselves to your Son, um, Father, for the first time and for every day, God, I, I pray that you would, as you are making us right with you, as you are changing us into your image, uh, that you just show us the joy and the freedom of life in your spirit, God. Remind us of, of what that life looks like. In your name we pray. Amen.